0: agriculture of america is brought to you by cenex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils oils that run smart informing america's farmers and ranchers this is a.o.a produced by the american ag radio network now here's your host mike pearson Hello,
1: ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot happening in the world of agriculture. We're going to be discussing a part of that today. In segment two, we're going to talk with Caitlin Glover here on the program. She's the executive director at the Public Lands Council about President Biden's newest national monument, the first new national monument of his administration in Colorado. And in segment three, we're going to take a look at biofuels, specifically the savings that American consumers could recognize if we had an E15 blend year round. Chris Bliley from Growth Energy will join us for that. And we're going to get a harvest update from Iowa technical agronomist at Channel Jeremy Miner will join the program. He's working with growers across that state as they work on harvest. He's going to give us an update of what to expect there. Before we talk about all of that, however, we are going to talk markets with our friend Tommy Grazafi of ATI. Tommy, how are things up in North Dakota?
2: Uh, It's a little cold day. We almost hit a record, Mike. The uh, record low today in fargo was 10 degrees we got down to 12 last night but uh no no need to fear beautiful blue skies and they're rolling on with harvest so uh farmers are in a good mood up here i have to be honest with you
1: well that's good to hear tommy i know you talk to a lot of growers in that region what what, how is the harvest looking for folks
2: well right now mike i'm sitting uh in mayville north dakota at first state bank that's where my office is and yields are a little better than expected there's certain pockets that missed obviously if you miss those key August rains, you're not going to have the beans that you wanted. But overall, I would say uh, people are uh, better than expected yields. And what's amazing is that uh, a lot of this crop was planted, uh, oh, end of May, beginning of June. I mean, an incredible amount of acres went in from May 20th to June 20th. And uh, some, you know, the wheat crop obviously didn't like being planted that late and yields were a little lower, but the soybean crop. Uh, just let, get, hats off to Mother Nature and great technology. We got to we got to give credit where credit's due. And um, if the rains fall, out of the sky and you plant the technology and take care of the crop, the, the bushels showed up. So uh, you can see uh, long lines at elevators and things are good up here. I I can't sit here and complain.
1: Well, that's good to hear, Tommy. Certainly need some wins for farmers here after the past two years. Taking a look at the markets today, those wheat growers might be a little bit more sad. We're seeing a downturn here in the wheat market. I assume this is fear over the the grain export program continuing there in Ukraine, Tommy?
2: Yeah, headline, the wheat markets become the ultimate casino. You know, if you drive down to the, uh, you've probably been there, the South Dakota-Fargo border, there's a casino right there. That's no different than what the wheat market is right now. It's headline-driven. Uh, if you're not up at 2 in the morning drinking coffee or checking the market, you, you could be involved in a 50, 60 cent move in wheat, which is about $3,000 per one lot in futures. And that's just uh, incredible risk. And as you know, people don't just grow 5,000 bushels of wheat; They grow hundreds of thousands of bushels of wheat. So to think that it was uh, well, over the last year, it's moved sometimes a couple dollars within a few days incredible amount of risk in the wheat market yes all all eyes on that black sea region are we going to export are we not uh overall mike there's enough wheat in the world it's just kind of misplaced in my opinion yeah that
1: seems to be the theme tommy with that being the case are we seeing exports accelerate to to new places here for american wheat, or or even just global wheat broadly speaking
2: well global markets more interesting than the american market the for people to come to america and buy wheat uh, it has to be because of a quality issue or uh, uh, reliability that will get it to them in in a timely manner. But uh, when I think of great wheat exporters, America's not usually one. Obviously, uh, Mexico is a, a good buyer of all of our products, corn and wheat especially. But uh, I haven't seen anything crazy come across the headlines. Occasionally, we see a nice soybean export uh, notice, but I haven't seen the big exports. And as the uh, Prices go up. Everyone gets excited when wheat has a ten in front of it, but then all of a sudden you look at the tape and we're not exporting any. And I, I think that would be because we became just uh uncompetitive overall.
1: That certainly makes sense, Tommy. But you mentioned their soybean exports might be ticking up. Saw big export inspections this week. Uh, is that good news? Here as we head into fall.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll take all the exports we can get, and uh, we need we need China. Hopefully, we don't get. Uh, uh, there's a lot of political uh, uh, rhetoric going back and forth, a little insulting here and power struggles, and we have our midterms. Uh, I think right now they would probably view us as weak, and not only us but the rest of the world too. When you look at what's happening, uh, not only our grain supplies and tight supplies, but energies, which we're we're on the verge of the largest ever man-created energy shortage. I mean, we're we're not. There's plenty of energy up here in North Dakota and around the world, but the 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 rules and regulations have really taken over. So you add all that together. What's happening in grain prices and energy? And there's a, a lot of exposure. You know, what is Russia really planning to be buddy buddy with? Uh, is Russia planning to be buddy buddy with uh, China? You know, we'll see. So. Yeah, uh, Tommy. That's
1: that's a huge point that you just made. We're sitting on the verge of the largest man-made energy shortage in history. That is staggering to think about. And I think farmers, the folks that I've talked to, they they grasp that, they feel that in the air, and it's concerning as you look out to 2023. How are you helping folks manage for that risk here ahead of next year?
2: Well, I think they're uh, particularly up north. They're just happy to have the bushels, and they're focused on finishing up. Uh, the 22 crop here, 23 crop. I like forward sales. I like HTAs at the elevator. If you're pretty sure you can grow corn, wheat, and soybeans, I'm comfortable, Mike, with the prices we've had the last month, getting a third forward sold in the uh, cash market, not the actual cash sale, but futures on the elevators books. And uh, we're we're not afraid to do a few other things. But with the market, so volatile, as you know, in, in options, as volatility picks up, the price of insurance picks up. So. The uh, options market uh, is expensive to go out a year. And, uh, of course, the price you're protecting is expensive, too. Let me put that first. We're protecting $9.50 wheat, $6.20 corn, and $13.50 no 23 beans. So prices are good a year out. I like being aggressively uh, sold out, out there.
1: All right. Take that. Take that money, put it in your pocket, Tommy. We had some more bad news yesterday. The Mississippi River shut down for a little bit in Kentucky to do some dredging due to the low water. How is that going to impact soybean prices specifically? You mentioned the need for exports as we get through this winter.
2: Yeah, I'm going to look at the spreads first of all and see how they're handling it. So you look at a Nove jan Nove trading and oh, about eight cents under Jan. And you know, are we creating carries when we look at Nove July? Uh, Nob is 25 cents under July. So the markets might be creating a carry in all this. As a product, I uh, assume it'll rain someday again and the, the river will come back up. But I don't think uh, a little one-inch rain across the Midwest is just going to instantly make the uh, river uh, fill back up. So we've all went from pandemic experts to Ukrainian war experts to river experts. And uh, to be honest <laughs> with you, I, I didn't know a whole lot about the all three of them combined together. I mean we love trading futures and options but uh every day mike there's a, a a different a different obstacle so you think you're playing this video game called farming and then they throw another one at you back to you sir
1: that's a great point tommy you can't fight the last war things are always changing in agriculture folks we were talking right there to tommy Grazafi from advanced trading he was talking to us there from mayville north dakota tommy thanks for joining us today thank you sir And folks, stick around. We're going to take a look at policy when AOA
0: returns with Caitlin Glover from the Public Lands Council. Stick around for more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Mextron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
3: We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why Extend Flex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like waterhemp, palmer, amaranth, and marestail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
4: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come.
5: Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a nine-to-five. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System goes all in to help you stay on top, backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
4: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come.
5: Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved.
6: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to ACretirement.org now. That's ACretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Ladies and
1: gentlemen to AOA, we appreciate you tuning to AOA here on The Dial today. Well, we've got some news coming out of the executive branch of the U.S. government here. Recently, we saw President Biden use his authority under the Antiquities Act to name his first national monument, that of Camp Hale in Colorado. Anytime we see the federal government taking up land and rolling it into increased protections, it makes me wonder... Who's all being consulted on these issues? And joining us today to discuss this is Caitlin Glover. She's the executive director of the Public Lands Council and serves as the executive director for natural resources at NCBA. And Caitlin, thanks for joining us today.
7: Well, thanks for having me on this morning.
1: Let's talk first about the the immediate uh, monument designation here, that of Camp Hale in Colorado. Caitlin, I know you cover these issues very closely. Bring us up to speed. What is Camp Hale?
7: So Camp Hale uh, is is the new national monument in Colorado, uh, protects and and permanently designates uh, these areas, the mountains and valleys, uh, of those of those sort of rolling rolling geographies in in colorado uh, as a national monument to honor uh, the u.s army's 10th mountain division uh, who served i think so bravely and, and so honorably in world war ii uh, across Colorado, this is a particularly famous landscape not only for the military service um but you know in, in, in some of these western landscapes it is particularly beautiful um and and you know i think conversations in the local community have have gone on for, for a number of years um, about how to, to honor that military service and, and how to uh, what the disposition of those locations should be. Uh, so there have been a number of bills introduced over the years uh, to designate as a national monument or other historic site. Uh, and you know in, in these sort of waning days of, of 2022 we saw President Biden officially designate those 53,000 acres uh, as, as a national monument.
1: And so this this Camp Hale National Monument. It seems as though there is broad support for this being rolled under federal government protections under the Antiquities Act, Caitlin. That's how this will be uh, will be incorporated into the federal government. Can you talk to us a little bit about the Antiquities Act? Is this an appropriate usage of that piece of legislation?
7: You know, I I think that's a great question, because I'll tell you, you know, the producers that I represent, the cattle and sheep producers who hold federal grazing permits, who manage these vast swaths of Western landscapes, usually when we hear about the Antiquities Act, it comes with a lot of consternation, because the Antiquities Act is a tool, it was created in 1906 to allow the president, to allow the executive branch to unilaterally take aside or set aside landscapes. It was intended to be a, a very... Uh, it was intended to be a scalpel, Mike. Uh, It was not intended to to be a broad sledgehammer. But over time, we have seen um, presidents like President Obama designate more than 550 million acres in in a single four-year period uh, under the Antiquities Act. Now, certainly Camp Hale is is, uh, more surgical, right? It's 53,000 acres. And and there is a lot of of longstanding discussion at the local level I think you know, it prompts, though, a good discussion as we go forward about the use of the Antiquities Act uh, and really the best use of these landscapes. So, Mike, you know, when you're talking about the Antiquities Act, Antiquities Act was intended to be the, the smallest area compatible with proper care and management of the objects to be protected. That was the language in the original statute. And as we look at some of these other monuments, when it's millions of acres designated, um, that's when we, we have those concerns moving forward.
1: Absolutely. And those concerns, you mentioned the, the almost ha- or the over half a billion acres that was put under monument designation under President Obama. What do those private sheep herders, cattlemen, and women lose who were grazing this land when it becomes a national monument?
7: So, so this is, this is really the crux of the issue, Mike. You know, I, I think generally everyone says that national monuments are are, are great, right? Uh, You'd love to take your family to, to visit them. But for the people on the ground, the, the consequences are dire. Um, the, the national monument designation, that, that set aside for that landscape uh, changes the way land use planning is done. It changes the economic drivers in that community. Um, So often these monuments are designated without local support, and so you see a, a, a real diversion between local support and support from those further away. What we want to see going forward is making sure that these landscapes, not only national monuments, but, but also land use plans, forest plans, really reflect those those voices of those American people who are, are stewarding those landscapes. So often with the Antiquities Act, that just doesn't happen.
1: And that's a great point. I mean, they're doing the work managing this ground on the ground. Caitlin. you know... We talked about this as President Biden's first new national monument designation, however, it was a year or so ago that he expanded two national monument designations, Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante, I believe, in Utah. In your conversations with the administration, are there more monuments coming in your mind?
7: You know, I think that's always the risk, right? And and so while uh, I think Camp Hale is, is a set aside uh, and, and harkens to, to a, a sort of a military honor and, and, and a different kind of national monument, our concern going forward is that the use of the Antiquities Act, as it has so often been in the past, is going to be political. I think we look at some of the proposals in in California and in Nevada and, and even in Texas uh, in some of those smaller areas where you might have a, a different... Level of support where that local community isn't isn't going to be bought in because they know the needs of their community, and, and so as certainly as as we get into the the sort of political cycle that that uh, that we're 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 in uh, and will continue in the lead up to the, the the next election after the midterms, I think the concern is is that the Antiquities Act will again um, be be used as a as a political tool rather than. Uh, reflecting the needs of these landscapes, of these communities and of their ability, the people on the ground, their ability to protect and manage these landscapes so that they're healthy into the future.
1: Caitlin, to that end, the idea that the local community might not be bought in on a particular monument designation. What's the recourse? Should a president could be of either party designate a national monument? Is there any local tools to delay or stop that uh, designation?
7: So so this is one of the areas where PLC and our partners work really, really closely. In in the past, there have been some states who have pushed through Congress sort of an opt-out, right? no new national monuments uh, in those states. But but what we see going forward uh, is is really a groundswell of support for things like congressional approval or approval from a governor and from county commissioners and from local leaders uh, prior to the Antiquities Act being used. That is a change that Congress would have to make. And so as we're working with Congress uh, over over these cycles, uh, we continue to emphasize to them that any of these tools should be driven, should be led by these local communities that should be reflected in legislation. Uh, And so that's something that we're gonna continue to work on uh, as as we go forward.
1: In the meantime, though, Caitlin, no doubt, we are going to see future planned monument designations coming out. And I'm curious, I know from the PLC side and also at NCBA, you've been working with legislators and regulators to teach them about the benefits of grazing and grassland management. Do you think those lessons are sinking in out there? Do they understand that sheep and cattle can be a crucial component of maintaining a healthy grassland?
7: You know, Mike, I, I really I really do think that that is sinking in. I think even, you know, with this administration, but certainly with, with local communities and, and the agencies, you're seeing a real reflection that they have to keep cattle and sheep on the landscape, not only from, from a, a statutory requirement, right? The, the law says you have to, but as we continue to struggle with catastrophic wildfire, as we struggle with uh, the, these drought conditions and needing to manage uh, fuels and, and really keep those soils healthy, we're seeing more and more investments in putting cattle and sheep on the landscape in a strategic way rather than just removing them. It's a good reminder that conservation, something that this administration, these agencies talk a lot about, conservation is an action verb. It requires a a positive interaction with the landscape. Uh, A positive interaction that cattle and sheep and the careful management that these producers, these permittees do, uh, are are immensely well suited. So I do think it's sinking in, thankfully.
1: (laughs) Thankfully, indeed, conservation is an action verb. Caitlin, that is a great line. I'm going to have to remember that. If we've got listeners tuning in now that are hearing you, Caitlin Glover from the Public Lands Council, talk about the work you do. Where can they go to keep up on the legislative and the battles that, that you're fighting there in D.C.?
7: Well, there are plenty of battles to be sure, Mike, but they can visit our website, publiclandscouncil.org, or on any of the social media that they, they use, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, to keep up on the work that we're doing to represent cattle and sheep producers who hold those federal grazing permits. They'll also be pointed to our partners as well. And so what they should take away either from our website or from any of our other platforms uh, is that they are advocates in Washington advocating, sharing their message, telling their stories.
1: That's what it's all about. Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council and ED of Natural Resources at NCBA, thanks so much for joining us today.
7: Thanks so much, Mike.
1: And, folks, stick around. We're going to talk with Chris Bliley from Growth Energy about how Americans could save more money with more E15. Stick around for more AOA coming up next.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart.
1: This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. It's advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.
5: These acres you've put your life into. Your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com.
8: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we start off our day here Tuesday, we see mixed activity, corn and wheat moving to the downside. Beans are firm with bean oil strong once again on the day, while the livestock trade relatively mixed. Harvest advancing nationwide. 45% complete on the corn side, just a little behind the halfway mark, but ahead of the five-year average of 40%. On the soybean side, we are over the halfway mark nationwide as of Sunday. Now we look as well, strong U.S. dollar and low water levels in the Mississippi. They're combining to ration the export demand for U.S. corn and beans and wheat. Extremely high barge rates creating more demand for rail, which is keeping freight rates high there as well. We'll have to see if the rationing is sufficient enough to fix the balance sheet considering this year's smaller crops. That's to be determined because we don't know the final size of the crop. However, with harvest continuing to advance rapidly, USDA should have a decent idea of what the final size of the year's quarter soybean crop will be by the November 9th crop report. We expect small crops to get smaller, but... That's a debate that's going to rage on here for a few more weeks for sure. Market focus is increasingly shifting to South American weather which is dry for Argentina and favorable for Brazil although Brazil is expected to dry out in November. We continue to watch Russia strike back at Ukraine's infrastructure and that is a situation that's probably going to continue to deteriorate in the short term. Watching stock futures soar again here this morning as early earnings reports ease concerns about the economy. The VIX though still elevated trading near 31 this morning with the us dollar index near 111.9 meantime livestock trade mixed action there a good day for hogs yesterday with december coming up towards the cash index we'll see if the trade can continue to move higher on the day on tuesday that's a check of the markets here on aoa for the american ag network i'm jesse allen 180
6: over 111 and i had a stroke when i woke up i couldn't speak or walk
4: 180
6: over 110, and I had a stroke.
4: And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to toe. Everything's changed at to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Mextron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
1: Welcome back to AOA ladies and gentlemen. Over the past year, inflation has been on everyone's mind, and consumers across this country have been looking for ways to save a little money and keep a little bit of that extra cash in their pockets. And they caught a break this past year with the sale of E15 being allowed for a year or summer months on an emergency basis. That allowed for a really neat experiment to see how consumers would adapt to E15. And now enough time has passed, we are getting some of the research. And it turns out more E15 is good for farmers and good for consumers. Joining us now for that update is Chris Bliley. He's the Senior Vice President for Regulatory Affairs at Growth Energy. And Chris, thanks for taking the time to join us today.
10: Yeah, glad to be with you and glad to be talking about the benefits of E15.
1: Always fun to talk about. Certainly was a boon for consumers pocketbooks this past summer. Chris, tell us a little bit about this new study. What have you guys been learning?
10: Uh, sure. So this summer, uh, after President Biden announced the emergency relief for E15, we saw tremendous savings from uh, from the fuel uh, across the country with consumers saving as much as a dollar per gallon in some locations, but on average about right around 16 cents per gallon in all locations across, you know, 29 states. And so we took that savings and plugged it in uh, with ABF Economics, on a national move to E15. And so if we moved as a nation to E15 across the country, consumers would save twenty more than $20 billion on annual fuel costs. We'd add $66 billion to the U.S. economy, an additional 188,000 jobs largely in all sectors of the economy, but largely in agriculture, and put more than $36 billion in income, into the pockets of American households, so tremendous benefits, economy wide, uh, from a you know a simple move uh, to E15 across the country.
1: Absolutely, and so really, all this survey or all this study anticipates is what happens if we were legally allowed to sell E15 year-round. That's the only change you assumed.
10: No, I, so it, it it's it's a little bit of both. So it's assuming that you can sell year-round. But this would actually be a national move to E15. This is if we converted the E10 sales today, regular E10 blended gasoline to E15 across the country. But of course, in order to do that, we need to have year-round access. This took the savings that we saw this summer from having year-round access to E15. And so consumers saw that 16 cents. And if we took that $0.16 cents across all the fuel, we'd have tremendous economic benefits with more than $20 billion in savings.
1: That is incredible. And Chris, the savings aspect is pretty intuitive. Ethanol uh, blended fuel is cheaper at most pumps for most consumers, so obviously we're going to see a savings there. I'm curious, if we can spend a little time on the $66 billion in value-added output to the GDP, I'm curious, where do you see that value? Whose pockets is that going into?
10: Well, again, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's real ripple effect across the economy. I mean, it's $36 billion in income into American households, their spending habits. It's creation of additional jobs across various sectors, including agriculture. Um, You know, it's purchase of commodities. It's purchase of of feedstock at the farm. It's purchase of fuel to run biorefineries. Um, you know, it, it really does span the gambit. Um, and it also holds some, you know, tax benefits for state and local governments as well, uh, with, you know, $6 billion for for those states and local governments, uh, particularly at a time when when everybody's facing, you know, rising fuel costs, which is really, uh, you know, costing a number of different things across the economy and increasing those prices as well.
1: It certainly is, Chris. And when we think about this moving to a nationwide E15 or even just allowing E15 to be an option at the pump for drivers, the only thing standing in our way is the regulatory process, which of course is your bailiwick there at Growth Energy. Tell me a little bit about the conversations in D.C. Do you think we are going to have a green light for legal E15 sales year round here by summer 23?
10: Well, I, I think that's the conversation that's ongoing. We've seen un, uh, a number of states in the Midwest have sort of taken it into their own hands. Uh, they are opting out of the vapor pressure uh, waiver for fuel in their state so that they can permanently allow the sale of E-15 year-round. Uh, you know, we saw eight, eight states submit that uh, in the Midwest. Uh, and so, all signs indicate that by summer 2023, those states will be able to sell E15 year-round. But ultimately, you know, we'd like to see a national solution. Uh, and it's really important for consumers to have access to the fuel, as, as you know, the study shows. The, the savings are significant. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're greatly appreciative of the states for really stepping up. Um, and opting out so that they can sell E15 and really sort of taking this debate into their own hands. And conversations are certainly continuing about how we can do that nationally. There's been legislation introduced, uh, you know, multiple years, there's a number of congressional supporters, we saw the, you know, the president make an emergency waiver for this past summer. So there are a number of, you know, policymakers who've been really involved, the governor's Uh, congressional members, the administration, all very much support year-round sale of E15. It's just a matter of, you know, how can we get this done?
1: From a political perspective, Chris, and hopefully something gets done either at the legislative level or at the state level before we get to next summer, but could we see the president issue another emergency exemption for this next summer's driving season if there is no uh, nationwide solution?
10: Well, I think that's a debate that's going to happen, you know, probably into the next year. I mean, this year we saw extenuating circumstances with what's happening in Ukraine and sort of the global energy security debate and and the price of oil. Um, it's probably a little early to tell where we may be you know sort of next spring early part of next year although you know the situation in ukraine continues energy security is is certainly chief among a number of of topics at the forefront of everybody's mind right now so again i think a number of states are taking this into their own hand we're hopeful to get a national solution um, but i think we'll have to see until you know next year if. If there's a if, if things are in a position where it may have to go an emergency route again.
1: All right, Chris. So we've got those eight states working on the the bypass for the R uh the, the read vapor pressure waiver. And I understand most of those are in the corn belt. Chris, I've got a question about California. That's one of the places that we've seen ethanol have the most price competition. We saw consumers love E eighty five there this past year. Any chance we're gonna start moving E fifteen in California before too long?
10: Yeah, no, a great question. It's it is certainly. I mean, it's the biggest market in the country. Uh, Californians drive nearly a billion miles every day uh, and use a ton of fuel. Um, And so, we've had a number of discussions with the regulators out there. We're in the midst of California's evaluation of E fifteen. Uh, they just, the California Air Resources Board posted uh, the results of emissions testing on E15 over the summer. And it showed what, uh, you know, we've been talking about for a number of years, that there are tremendous air quality benefits to moving to E15, lowering of things like particulate emissions uh, and, you know, no no adverse air quality uh, concerns with using E15. So with that data in hand and those tests were all done on California fuel. So with that data in hand, we're hopeful that uh, the California regulators will move forward and get E15 approved uh, here in the next year or so, uh, so that we can get it into place. And that, as you said, Californians can save tremendously on higher biofuel blends. I mean, we saw savings with E85, you know, multiple dollars per gallon. And so with E15, they, you know, numerous consumers could be saving at the pump.
1: Absolutely. And we're moving more central U.S. corn to the coast and capturing a value for bringing that premium back to rural America. That's a win there. Chris, I'm curious, Growth Energy responsible for holding EPA's feet to the fire on those 2023 renewable volume obligations. They're slated for November 16th. Are we actually going to see them from the EPA?
10: Yeah, I think we have every indication that they're going to meet that deadline. Uh, it's a, it, you know, as part of a consent decree that we, Growth Energy, entered into with EPA uh, on sort of those hard and fast deadlines to get their proposal out as well as get it finalized by June. Uh, it is rare, it is fairly rare that. EPA agrees to a consent decree on a proposal. So we I think we feel pretty strongly that they're going to get it done uh, by that deadline. Uh, and we have all indications that they are. Uh, and we're certainly, as you said, going to hold their feet to the fire.
1: Absolutely, Chris. And I know those discussions aren't out yet. Those proposals aren't public. Do you have a sense on where the EPA might be going for the 2023 RVOs quite yet?
10: Well, I, I think it's probably too soon to say all the details. Um, but what I would say, we had uh, EPA Administrator Regan at our conference earlier this year. Uh, he gave a you know strong indication for support of biofuels. He understands the RFS uh, and knows how important it is. And we saw some strong signals with the with the finalized volumes for 2020 through 2022. Uh, well, we were disappointed that they went back and revised 2020, but for 2022, there were very strong volumes and, and a real path for sort of growth in our industry, the highest volumes ever. In addition, you know, the EPA denied those numerous small refinery exemptions that had been hanging over our head for several years. So, you know, I think some real strong positive signals. We're very hopeful that, you know, they, they continue to set policies for growth moving forward. So it benefits our biorefineries, the ag economy, and and the farmers that help supply.
1: Those are all crucial pieces of the puzzle. And folks, if you want to read this study, if you want to present it to a legislator or regulator, you can find it on the Growth Energy website at growthenergy.org. We've been talking to Chris Bliley, the Senior Vice President for Regulatory Affairs there at Growth Energy. Chris, thanks for joining us today.
10: Glad to be with you. Thank you very much for having me.
1: And folks, stick around. We're going to take a look at how that corn crop is looking in the field with Jeremy Miner of Channel When AOA Returns.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
9: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens.
6: Most people don't even know it. Eleven million people
9: in the United
5: States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility,
4: independence, changes your entire life.
9: So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
4: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes,
6: and I don't want to lose that.
9: Make a plan today to get your eyes checked.
4: Visit
6: brightfocus.org to learn more.
9: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. we can make a
3: difference bite by bite. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why Extend Flex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like waterhemp, palmer amaranth, and marestail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January, 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
4: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come.
5: Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved.
1: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest today is Debbie Cole, CHS farmer owner, who shares how local cooperatives are an important part of her operation's success. Debbie, what can you tell us about your operation and how much you work with cooperatives?
6: Our family operates a dryland winter wheat farm in eastern Washington. We're in a summer fowl rotation, so we crop our ground every other year. Our local co-op picks up our um, grain at the field, and we also purchase our seed and our field from them as well.
1: How has your relationship with cooperatives contributed to your operation success?
6: You know, one of our largest struggles we faced the past two years is the ability to hire the labor force needed during our peak seasons. So having our grain picked up at the field has alleviated some of that struggle as we no longer run our own trucks or build our own home storage. During seeding, we also have our seed delivered directly to the farm, and this has enabled us to harvest and plant with just our full-time employees.
1: Debbie, what advantages do cooperatives provide that you found other businesses don't?
6: The cooperative structure has allowed us as the end users to have an impactful influence on the cooperative's operations. With common goals, cooperatives and producers are able to work together in greater efficiencies.
1: What would you tell other farmers about the value of being a cooperative owner?
6: That your opinion counts. Take an active interest in the operations of your local co-op. Take advantage of the offerings that work for your operation and approach them about things that don't fit your needs or that they're simply not competitive on. They are there to best represent their patrons.
1: That's Debbie Colm, CHS Farmer Owner. Debbie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership by visiting
0: cooperativeownership.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Harvest is moving across the country. 50% of soybeans nationwide are out of the field. Joining us with an update is Jeremy Miner. He's a technical agronomist with Channel based in eastern Iowa. Jeremy, thanks so much for jumping on today.
11: Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it.
1: Let's talk first, Jeremy. What is your territory there for Channel?
11: My territory for Channel is Southeast Iowa. But basically, if you draw a line from Dubuque, Iowa, down to Centerville, Iowa, and then go everything to the Mississippi and Missouri border, that's my territory. So 19 counties in the southeast corner of the state.
1: All right. Southeast, of course, you're bumping up against the Mississippi River down there in that far southeast portion. We know it's dry. How were growing conditions over the uh, the season?
11: You know, Mike, this year, uh, every year is different. We know that with weather, especially in the, in the Midwest and the Corn Belt. But Um, Overall, conditions were good if you were in the east-central part of the state. As you got further south and east, though, it was another story. I mean, rains came early in May and uh, kept guys out of the field even into late May, and then the water turned off. So um, I think just based on, you know, overall conditions, I'd say uh, people were surprised with how things are turning out based on those conditions.
1: And is that that's a positive surprise? It sounds like things look okay here at yeah, Harvest.
11: You know, yeah, for the most part, I would say yeah, it is a positive surprise. The east central part of the state, we're we're catching rains pretty much on an every you know every week basis, and uh, crops so far have been looking really good, and things are coming out um, better than expected. When you get further south and east, there definitely are some dry pockets out there where we're talking you know ten inches below normal, especially when you get into the, the more central south central part of Iowa um but uh i've talked to guys down by in the mount pleasant area you know as we get further into that southeastern corner there that are pulling out 70 bushel beans and they're really excited to see that you know being 10 to 12 inches below normal rainfall and only catching a few key rains really made a difference in this crop especially in the southeast part of the state
1: that is unbelievable 10 inches below normal and still 70 bushel beans jeremy that just speaks to the technology that goes into these crops anymore doesn't it
11: absolutely you bet you know i've been in this business for almost 25 years. Uh, I started, this will age me a little bit, but I started when Roundup Ready crops and BD crops were just coming onto the market. And it is amazing what some of these these crops are able to pull themselves through with just a little bit of rainfall. Uh, But yeah, the technology is there to really push through some of these stressful conditions.
1: Well, on the technology front, Jeremy, I'm going to throw a wild card at you. I know Channel has some short stature corn out there. Have you worked with any of that this year? Actually, yes,
11: I got the chance to work with that this year um, on some experience trials. We had, I think there was at least uh, between six and 800 across the Corn Belt altogether. Uh, but yeah, I got to experience some of those hybrids myself. It is amazing uh, what tech, that technology is bringing uh, to the Corn Belt.
1: If we've got folks unfamiliar with that technology, Jeremy, what is it that uh, is under development there?
11: Yeah. So it's exactly what you said. It's shorter statured corn. So we're looking at hybrids that are roughly um, less than eight foot tall. We have ear heights that with a minimum of 24 inches off the ground. So, I mean, we're t- we're talking a foot and a half to maybe two foot more, shorter than uh, what we would call a traditional hybrid, really able to withstand some of the, the storms and stuff that we uh, get across the Midwest. So um, we can punch the populations up a little bit and maximize yield potential. We have a wider application window when it comes to putting inputs out there. If we want to side dress nitrogen or if we want to add a fungicide application, you know we've extended those application windows by basically a week to 10 days just based on the plant height.
1: It is very cool. It's It's been neat to watch that technology come to the forefront, or at least move on to the mainstream here in agriculture. It'll be neat to see where it goes down the line. Jeremy, I'm curious. I know you talk with growers all across your territory, and a lot of those folks are thinking ahead to this next year. Do you have a sense on acreage quite yet? Do you think a lot of guys are going to go corn on corn, or are most folks still weighing the the costs and benefits?
11: You know, I think a lot of guys are still weighing the costs and benefits out there. We still have a lot of question marks out there. Um, You know, the yield question mark is is slowly eroding away. We are seeing uh, better potential out there. But, you know, with fertilizer costs, input costs, guys are still tossing things up in the air. I think a lot of guys will end up sticking with their same rotations. Um, That's just my gut feeling at this point in time. But there's just there's a lot of time between now and next spring for a lot of those factors to change.
1: There certainly is, Jeremy. There certainly is. Before we let you go, looking ahead to this next year, are there any pest or disease issues that popped up that you think growers need to be concerned about next year?
11: You know, we're always concerned about corn rootworm. Um, that always seems to be a pest that continues to bother us. So you know, that's, that gives me a chance to tout our SmartStax Pro technology with RNAi technology. So we've got an added mode of action in there to help against corn rootworm. Disease-wise, I'm always concerned about tar spot. You know, that disease has not been around very long, but it certainly has caused some problems. So we are working to evaluate our hybrids and uh, get that mixed into our breeding program as well and uh, bring those best products forward that will, will help battle that disease as it comes to the forefront
1: very cool jeremy you are on twitter i know you have put some advice for folks out there on the social media as well as some hunting videos where can folks find you
11: you bet you can follow me on twitter i am at camel agronomist uh you can follow me there try to put out as much information as i can like you say a little bit of hunting mixed in there too and um yeah you can always follow us for yield results at channel.com slash yield and uh see some of those local results come in
1: All right. And those results will keep coming in as harvest rolls on. Jeremy, stay safe out there. We wish all your growers the best of luck with harvest.
11: All right. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it.
1: And folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Before we go, I did just want to message some of you that joined us late, maybe didn't hear the news. The Mississippi River was shut down yesterday in Kentucky, about 125 miles north of Memphis due to low water levels. The Army Corps of Engineers is on scene. They are dredging, trying to remove some of those impediments that have blocked barges. But as of yesterday, there at the slowdown on the river, there were 51 barges currently waiting as those uh, dredgers were making their progress trying to get those those uh obstacles removed Eh, that follows along to say mississippi river hit a record low yesterday at memphis took out the previous record which was set during the drought of 1988 things are dry out there folks stay safe be sure you put those cigarettes out if you throw them out the window thanks for listening to aoa and we'll see you for more tomorrow
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into.
5: Your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at
1: ADSPipe.com.